I would like to introduce Hello, my name is Matthew Dvorak and welcome to the Chivo Effect. Every week I'll bring you the biggest stories in sports and break them down. Before we get into it this week, I just want to give a big shout out to Brother Bob of the Brother Bob Dojo for the new intro and outro music that you guys heard. Uh, give the guy a follow on YouTube. You can find him by searching Brother Bob Dojo. That's B-R-O-T-H-E-R-G-B-O-B-D-O-J-O. Again, that's Brother Bob Dojo, B-R-O-T-H-E-R-G-B-O-B-Dojo, D-O-J-O. It's great. He's got a lot of good things on there. You guys will love him. Now, we got a lot to go over this week, so I'm just going to hop right into it here. Oh, big couple of weeks in sports, guys. Big things happening. We start with some college football. We had the Natty a couple of weeks ago, national championship. Alabama absolutely rolls tide over Ohio State. Roll tide indeed. Uh, that's a final score of 52 to 24. And it was, no offense to Ohio State, a pretty thorough working up and down the entire way. I mean, from the entire, from the first play from scrimmage, Trey Sermon gets tackled. The Ohio State running back gets tackled, breaks his collarbone. You don't see him again. Hope he's doing good. Shout out to him. Uh, to Justin Fields, he did not look right the entire time. I think he was still definitely hurting from that rib hip injury he got from that Clemson game. I think it was definitely still hurting him. To me, at least, it looked like he wasn't putting the same zip on his passes. It was it, To me, it looked like he just absolutely could not torque himself because of that body, because of his middle body injury. He just couldn't torque himself and get enough oomph on it, and everything just was not looking as good to me. Um, he did the best he could, especially against that defense and against that tight offense. I mean, poor Ohio State's defense. Alabama absolutely shredded those guys. Mac Jones is 36-54 with 464 and five touchdowns. That would be good for a 98 QBR on the day out of 100. Uh, Najee Harris had 79 yards on 22 carries with two touchdowns. He added in uh, eight receptions, I'm sorry, seven receptions for 79 yards and a score. So that's over 150 all-purpose with three scores on the day. Uh, Devontae Smith was every absolute bit the Eisman winner. He finished with a stat line of 12 yard, or twelve receptions for 215 yards and three touchdowns. Long was a 44-yarder in the day. And guys, this was in the first half. First half, because mind you, he got hurt early on in the third quarter. He got hurt. He broke his finger. He was in that medical tent for, you know, way longer than I thought he would be. And then he got moved to the locker room and eventually came back on his street clothes. So he was done for the afternoon. He was done for the evening. But 215 on 12 catches and three touchdowns in the first half. That not only did that break like every first half and just about every college game record for the most part. In the half, he did that. He, who knows what he could have done in the second. He was going to go on <clears throat> to have maybe the greatest receiving performance ever, just ever. Who knows? That's asking a lot, but, I mean, he was just, the kid was just that on fire. <clears throat> but, I mean, they spread the ball around well, not just to him. I mean, you had Jay Mechie with eight receptions for... 81 yards. You had Najee Harris, like I mentioned. Jalen Waddle even on that bum ankle, and he was, God, I felt for him. We'll talk about him in a second. He had three for 34. Um, 
and then the next were two, three, and one. So Mac Jones spread the ball around. That's one, two, three, four, seven different guys on that team caught passes. So it wasn't just a one-trick pony, even though, like we said, you went to that Eisen winner because he's your Eisen winner, and you know the things he can do, and he showed you what he could do. I think Devontae Smith is definitely, if he hasn't already, has most certainly sold himself as the top receiver in this draft above Jamar Chase. I mean, Jamar Chase didn't play all year, and while he probably would have gone as the number one receiver, you can't really argue with the first guy to win the Eisman in 27 years, since like 91, quite a few years, since Desmond Howard in Michigan. That's another thing. This guy won the Eisman for the first time as a wide receiver, one of the only like three wide receivers to ever do it. But for the first time as a wide receiver in so long, in an age when it's been so quarterback dominant and heavy, that it isn't even funny that you had to do special things to get consideration for it. Well, Devontae Smith said, can I interest you in 117 catches, 800 and, you know, 1,800 plus yards and like 18 touchdowns? Can I interest you in that? How does that sound? And they said, yeah, sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I'll take that. Here's this. So, and it's so crazy watching this kid play because, first of all, Ohio State's defense is no slouch. They have produced multiple first-round defensive backs and defensive linemen in the in the past years. You had the Bosa twins. You had Chase Young recently. You've had Jeff Okuda. You've had um, Eli Apple as a first-rounder one year. You've had a few other guys. I mean, they just they are good on defense. They get blue-chip defense. And Mac Jones was working them up and down the field like a knife through butter. It was... One of Devontae Smith, the best play Devontae Smith had of the night, I think, or at least one of them, was it was the one where he made Tough Borland, the middle linebacker for Ohio State. He made him look silly, downright silly out there in coverage. He almost ran like like a really kind of like an S route. He, he just up and over and drifted a little bit and just kind of drifted his way back up through the inseam. <clears throat> until he was on the other side, and he just had this dude looking silly chasing behind him. He was just wide open. It was beautiful. Watching him play all night was beautiful. I could not. And I think, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, obviously was the offensive coordinator at Alabama, now took the job at Texas, but decided to still call this game. And some dudes pack it in what a game he called indeed instead. He said, we're going to go get this ring real quick because I'm not leaving without one before I go chase one somewhere else. He had such good use of Devontae Smith because it's never been about his size. He's about his speed, but it's he just plays bigger than he is, and he's so fast, and he can just outquick you almost every time. What they were do, you know, they would have him, in, have him lined up on the left. He would run in motion and start moving, and at the last second before the snap, like right at the snap, he would cut back, so he's taking all his momentum the other way, and they would build on that. And that's how they would get him. They'd get him going, not staying in there waiting on an out route. They'd have him going full speed, and he would just take off, and he'd hit you for 10 yards, 11 yards. He, you know, breaking that 40, or 20, and 30s, those long ones in there. He is just incredible. It was absolutely amazing to watch him watch. He won the Eisen Trophy for a reason, and I'm, I'm happy to hear it. <clears throat> I'm happy to see it for him. But... That's the same thing that Alabama's offense has been doing all year. Najee Harris has been running over and through people, hurdling people like we saw at Notre Dame. We're up to that guy. No one wants to be put on the hurdle. 
poster, but Mac Jones and Devontae Smith and Mac Jones and just anybody is beating them through the air. I mean, they and they still are Alabama's defense. They're not the same top five defense like they've been in years past. I think they're top borderline top 20, 19, 18, maybe. <clears throat> but still a quality enough defense to do what you're doing, especially when your team is dropping. So they've had about above, <clears throat> you know, about your above average, you know, defense so far this year. Still good, but just not what we're used to really from Nick Saban. Um, definitely above average, though. But the offense, I mean, they are averaging historic numbers. We thought we saw <clears throat> everyone proclaimed to be pricing the best offense in single season of all time from that LSU team last year, right, with Joe Burrow. Uh, Alabama said, hold my beer. And they went for 49.5 points per game. They were over 500 yards of offense per game on average. I mean, it, it's just nasty what they were doing to people out here. And here's the other thing. One of the reasons this may be considered one of the best, not just, definitely not maybe just best Nick, Nick Saban season of all time, but the best just college football season offensively and just all-time, all-time, is they did all this to all SEC. There was no, there was no preseason essentially this year with those out-of-conference games, those easy ones where they just pay some school to come and get their ass kicked by 60 points. There was none of that this year. It was all SEC teams they were doing this to. They went undefeated this year. It's the first time that in this run of this dynasty that Alabama's done that since they won the first one with Nick Saban in 2009 against Texas. They were just absolutely dominant this year. And the crazy thing to me, which will lead me into my next segment, is there was an interview in 2012 after they had won when Nick Saban was asked about the impending offensive boom, because it already started happening. The air raid had already been in the Big 12 for a hot minute, and, you know, teams were starting to score more points and just do more on the offensive side of the ball. And he basically said, is that what y'all want to happen? Y'all want four, y'all want 48 and a half points per game and, like, 600 yards of offense and da-da-da-da-da. Is that what y'all want? And one could say at the time that it sounded like – he was afraid of it. Like, oh, my defense is going to be obsolete. What am I going to do? <laughs> Folks, it looks like being in the true, like, form of himself, he was more issuing a warning. Go back and listen to it now. It's like, y'all really want to do this, huh? I've beaten y'all on just defense so far, but do you want to give me offense too? Because I'll do it if I have to. And sure enough, he did this year. I mean, it is... It is just astounding. So Nick Saban, guys, I think can easily be argued as – I don't think he can be argued as the greatest coach of all time in any sport. I think that'd be reserved for, like, Bill Belichick, your Greg, Greg Popovich's, your Phil Jackson's, people like that who have just they, – they transcended everything and just did things that no one else could have done. But – as far as the greatest college football coach of all time, definitely. I mean, hell, the problem is, is he had to, <laughs> in surpassing the greatest college football coach of all time, he is now also surpassed as the greatest Alabama coach of all time. And you think to yourself, well, damn, it can't have been. There's no way, right? Because the other dude that he was fighting for both on that list were Paul Bear Bryant. Six national championships, 
I believe, six with Alabama. He is now the greatest Tide coach of all time and the greatest college football coach of all time. It's time for a little goat talk. Let's talk Nick Saban here. Seven natties in his entire career, 2003 at LSU. I was at that game in the, in the uh, in New Orleans in the Superdome. It was lit. They beat my Oklahoma Sooners and my brother. Shout out to you, Dusty. But still a good game. Cool thing to see as a kid, too. Went to Miami with the Dolphins in, like, 07. Played two – or coached two seasons there as the head coach. Uh, had, like, a 15-18 and 18 record overall. Not great. Um, came back to Bama in 09. They won 09, 2011, 2012. And they were one of the first team. I think they're the first team to back to back in a long time on the national championships, uh, 2015, 2017, and then most recently this year, obviously 2020. That's more than any coach in college history. The dude is consistently putting together top ranked defenses, top ranked offense. Not not top ranked offense until this past year, past couple of years, couple of years. Once he had Tua. He can kind of easily do it, and then obviously Mac Jones this past year, but consistently top-ranked defenses, top-ranked offensive weapons. You know, Eisman Trophy-winning running backs. You know, in oh Derrick Henry and was it Mark Ingram? So both still have NFL careers. Mark Ingram's been going for about ten years now. Derrick Henry is easily looking like an absolute dominant force in the NFL at the moment. Rushed for over 2,000 yards this year. We know that. So the dude can recruit his ass off. He is – he could convince anybody to come play for him, and he does. You know, one of my favorite things in the college football Twitter world is seeing memes about it because they'll see like a – there was one of like this gigantic baby. I mean, this thing must have been 10 pounds. And everyone's like Nick Saban's knocking down his door to recruit that baby for 18 years from now. And it's true because he probably has. Well, know how good his recruits are. Not only is he good at recruiting, he is good at so good at developing. If it, it's got to be just common knowledge and understood now that if you're a high school prospect and you think you're as good as you think you are, or you're as good as you think you are, and you're really just here to you're here to do some cool stuff and play for Nick Saban and it's Alabama, right? But really, you're just here to get to the NFL. If that is the case, Alabama is still the way to go. Because some of these guys, we know going in, I mean, I, I'm personally of the ideal you should get an education always while you're there because it's free and you never know what could happen to you when you're in the NFL, that you can need it later. But some of these guys go in there and their plan is, hey, man, I'm here. I'm not – Cardell Jones said it best. I'm not here playing school, right? We're not here to play school. I'm here to play football. So some of these guys go in there with the idea that it's just a placeholder and I'm playing here until I can get drafted somewhere and go make some money. If that's your idea, go to Alabama, bro. If you're that good and you think you're that sh- you're the hot shit and Nick Saban thinks so, go because that dude can turn you into something. Let me just lay a bit of the facts on here, you guys. He has had a first-round selection every year since 2008. Literally from the moment he took over that program, they have had at least one first-round selection every year since 08. Many of those years they've had multiple, sometimes three or four. With Tua going fifth overall last year, Nick Saban became the first college head coach in the NFL's common draft era to produce a first-round pick at every non-specialist position. That means that dude is putting first-rounder anywhere on the field other than, you know, 
special teams, kicker, punter, long snapper, all that. That dude has put a first-rounder in it every single position. On the offensive and defensive lines, he puts it through in the trenches. You're outside and you're a cornerback or a wide receiver, he'll put you in. In the secondary and a linebacker, he's got you. Hell, he put two in through quarterback, and that was the longest standing one of all time. Running backs, he's got you. Everything. And that is insane. When Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs III became the first pair of receivers to be selected in the top 15 of any NFL draft in history last year. That's nuts. Uh, Their four first-round selections from last year's draft tied the Alabama record joining 2011, 2012, 2017, 18, and 20 as all of their drafts in the past these years with Nick Saban with at least four first-round selections. That is nuts. Uh, they were one selection away from twenty in 2019 from having four straight drafts with four first-round picks. Uh, last year, Saban set the record for the most first-rounders for a coach in college football history uh, when Josh Jacobs – got taken to the Oakland Raiders with the 34th with his the year Josh Jacobs was taken by the Oakland Raiders. That was his 34th first round selection and set the record for most first rounders for a coach in college football history. I mean, guys, and he's a winner. He's won at LSU. He won at Bama. Obviously he's won at Bama. I mean, he is, he has an 800 winning percentage in the regular, in just the regular season all time in his career. He has like a 685 bowl winning percentage. I mean, seven national championships in his career, consistently the best recruiter day in and day out, year to year. I mean, he's a Belichick disciple. He was there in Cleveland when Belichick was the head coach there, and they were making their last playoff appearances. He was – and he never – he didn't fare good in the NFL, and that's that's one reason why you can't call him the, you know, the greatest coach of all time is he had a very short-lived – you know, not better than some NFL careers, but definitely not as good as it could have been. Not what people were expecting when he was coming out of college. But, I mean, he came back with a vengeance to college. And he took what at that point was Alabama had a historic history, but they were not winning at that point. They were not a very good team and program up to that point. And he took them and made them into the absolute college football machine. They are more than a team at this point. They are an institution. Like, they are – he – he is the Michael Jordan goat of college coaches. And you, you can no longer talk about college football without talking about Nick Saban. You cannot tell the story of college football, especially not only just our generation and our time, you know, even just my lifetime, my 25 years of life. It's, it's been Alabama and Nick Saban as far as I can remember. You know, before that, it was him at LSU. And gosh, and it was USC and all of those guys. But he is an institution at this point with Alabama. The NCAA, when some people, the first thing they think of with the NCAA is them. It's, I imagine that some people look at them with like the LeBron James syndrome, where, you know, LeBron went 10 straight years in the finals, right? So it's kind of just the one year he wasn't there, or we expect him to be there. You know, no matter what you do at the NBA finals, you have to beat LeBron. That's the final boss level, essentially. And that's what it feels like most years with Nick Saban. If you want to get anything done, God bless the SEC. Those poor guys. Rip all of them. Florida, Georgia. I mean, they all try so hard, but it, most years it ain't it. 
and it's not even their fault. Like they're just getting they're getting got in their own backyards by Nick Saban. Nick Saban reaches into their pockets and takes their cookies, and they can't do a damn thing about it. They watch him eat their cookies. They watch him eat their cookies, and they have to smile and ask him how they tasted. Think about that. That's what he does with all these recruiting and draft everything. Same thing Oklahoma, Boomer Sooner, does to Texas. We take all of their cookies, and then they have to watch us eat it all for six straight Big 12 championships. So shout out to all my Texas fans for a second. Um, The next Texas fan that tells me that we keep getting blown out in the playoff is going to get the same response that my friend Kobe gets when he tells me that is, you guys haven't even made it. Like I tell them, and I'll tell you guys too, let's talk a Big 12 championship first, and then we'll discuss you guys in the playoff and us in the playoff. Take it away from us there before you do anything else, and even then we'll talk about it. Sorry, back to my point. Nick Saban, by far and away the greatest college football coach of all time. It's undisputed. That, my friends, that is the Chivo effect. That's enough goat talk for now. We're going to knock into this playoffs. Talking to the NFL a little bit. We had the wild card matchup, super wild card, they called it. It was pretty good. Uh, most interesting thing that happened to me from that is the Bills and the Browns break their curses. First of all, so I got a couple of things, got a couple of apologies here. I'll start by apologizing to my my producer, Sam Gladen, on air. Buddy, I'm sorry. Shout out to you. You guys made the playoffs. I've been talking shit on you guys for 10 years, uh, maybe longer. The Browns have been a joke as long as I've been alive, both of us. But you guys made the playoffs. The culture looks like it's chipped, It's shifted. Uh, you guys won a playoff game, for fuck's sake. You beat Pittsburgh twice in a row after they creamed you at the beginning of the year to make the playoffs for the first time in 25 years. I'm sorry, in like 17 years. And then win your first game in like 25. Shout out to you, Cleveland. You guys did a good job. And we'll get to that game in a second, You know, breaking it down a little more. But... Good job on you guys. And the Bills, man, they won their first playoff game in 25 years. Bills Mafia, you know, Bills Mafia is the more I come to, the more I come to realize and know them and like know things about them, the better of a fan base I think of them. At first, I thought they were a bunch of drunken degenerates from uptown New York, to be honest with you, who just (laughs) bombed themselves through tables at pregame because it was lit. But actually a pretty cool bunch of dudes like they you know when josh allen's grandmother died they donated to the buffalo children's hospital uh several hundred thousand dollars in his name grandma's name and 17 dollars donations you know and after this past week which we'll also get into when lamar jackson got hurt and he couldn't finish the game against them when they beat baltimore they donated to oh is it uh i don't remember what the donate what uh the foundation was called but it was his Baltimore, uh, Lamar Jackson's foundation in Baltimore or Louisville that, fuck, give me a second. Not only did they donate to Josh Allen, to, to the Buffalo Children's Hospital in Josh Allen's grandmother's name, they donated to Lamar Jackson's foundation in Louisville that's feeding kids during the pandemic when they're out of school. Um, uh, after he got knocked out of the game against them on Sunday where they lost, he, they started donating, and it's been $700,000 at this point, and it's great. They're good people. They're actually really nice people, they seem. Crazy, 
you know, you have to be crazy, in my opinion, to live in western New York like that, live in upstate New York and just take all that snow they get. But also, where else are you going to go that you're going to pay your fans $8 an hour plus some game tickets to come shovel snow out so they can play football that day? Sounds pretty lit to me. So, And they're both led by young quarterbacks. You know, Baker, the shocking thing after the wild card round was over was you had the left uh, the quarterbacks you had left were Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen. Baker Mayfield is the oldest quarterback left in the AFC after the wild card round. Think about that. Dude is still under 25 years old and is just – it's crazy to think about. It really is. So a lot of youth in the coming out of the AFC this year in the playoff field, whereas out of the wild card round in the NFC, you had Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Jared Goff. So Jared Goff's the young and out of all those guys. But a lot more of the old heads coming out of the, a- of the NFC. A lot of those dudes, so – but good on the Bills and Browns, finally breaking those playoff curses, getting those, getting that monkey off your back, on to the next one. So, like I said, this week's games, we're going to talk about those, the divisional round. Uh, Bills beat the Ravens in a pretty tight one, very defensive matchup. Lamar Jackson very pretty much neutralized almost all game. Um, Josh Allen, not the best game of his season, but he did what he had to do when he needed to do it. He had, you know... Of course, he got his man Stefan Diggs involved. Eight receptions, 106 yards, and a touchdown. Um, the only offensive score on the on the day went to Stefan Diggs there. The other touchdown they had was a 101 uh, pick six from the Bills' defense to put one on the board. And that pretty much – probably that was the momentum swing that really killed him and finished the game off before even he got hurt. But So Lamar Jackson gets hurt in the third, unfortunately. So they have to go to their backup, and it pretty much coasted from there. The Bills won, and they're out of the AFC Championship game for the first time in 20-something years, like 1993. Hate to see it. Actually, you love to see it. What am I talking about? You love to see it. And it's it's so – it's refreshing because, you know, we're seeing our generation come back, or our generation of football is a little bit different, right? I love – I love, personally, one of my favorite things in sports is seeing – Things get broken, curses get broken, streaks get broken, like bad ones, curses, um, you know, droughts, anything like that is so nice to see. It, it's so good. I love to, I love seeing it. Same reason I root for the Cubs in 2016 in that World Series. It was good to see it happen. So Bills onto the AFC Championship led by Josh Allen, that buzzsaw of an offense, and the defense got hot right at the right time. They're starting to play good. They didn't play as great against Indianapolis, and it almost cost them, but they definitely were locked down this game, and it was fantastic to see. So we're going to go on to the Browns and the Chiefs. The final score was 22-17 Chiefs out of the AFC Championship to host the Bills. Uh, Patrick Mahomes got hurt in the third quarter and knocked out with a concussion. Still don't know for sure if he'll be able to be back this next week, but remains to be seen. Replaced by Chad Henney in the third. That's right, folks. Chad Henney. If you recognize that name, dude's been a backup for a while now. In 2000, you know, he was, he's been in the league for like 13 years now, I think. And been a perpetual backup from the Dolphins to the Jags. A few places in between. And now he's here backing up Patrick Mahomes. And what a game he had. He was 6 for 8, 66 yards with an interception. 
Uh, the most crucial thing he did all game and probably the play of the game was that 13-yard run he had on third and 14. Just what a thing to have happen, huh? It, I mean, you, you got to think, in the divisional round, when the game has been pretty close up to this point, Patrick Mahomes gets hurt. He's the secret weapon, the wild card. He's, you know, he is what he is. He is the dude out there, not just for that offense, for that entire team. And he's the one trump card that even exists in the NFL like that. Just the one dude that no matter what happens or how bad it gets, you just let him go and he will get you out of the hole. So you didn't have that. You had this guy who was a perpetual backup and shouldn't have been in this game, but unfortunately he was. He comes in, uh, has a couple of three and outs, then throws an absolute terrible interception. He basically just was playing jackpot and called 1,000 and just launched it downfield, hoping there was a receiver in the area. There wasn't. Uh, safety Carl Joseph, it was like seven or eight yards away from Tyreek or whoever the fuck he was trying to throw that to. Went to safety Carl Joseph. And next thing you know, Baker has the ball back. And he couldn't do anything with it. They just could not do it. Baker just could not get it going like he thought he could, at least on that last drive. So then fourth and one, I think they should have gone for it. They opt to punt, and that's all she wrote. Because you come up, you get two big stops, or you get two decent plays off against them, and then you get a big sack on another second down. After you give up a first down, you get a sack on a second down from Miles Garrett. So it's a big third and 14. So you have a chance to stop them, get the ball back, and give Baker one more shot to drive this bitch and win, right? So Chad Henney, who had thrown that bomb interception earlier, he scrambles out of the pocket when he starts collapsing and he feels pressure and he sees green in front of him. So he takes the fuck off, starts running his ass off, lowers his shoulder at the line at the first down and goes and tries to truck through. He's about a yard short. So fourth and one, what does Andy Reid do? We're going for it. A little just tiny out route to Tyree Kill, like a one-yard pass. And that was the first down, and all she wrote, and that was the game. It was just a legendary moment from that guy. That 14-yard run, especially to lower your shoulder, too. You don't get out of bounds. He lowers his shoulder, and he goes, trying to get that first down. That's any given Sunday Al Pacino speech type shit right there. He'll claw, and he'll fight, and he'll die for that inch. Cool to see. Anything is possible. Any given Sunday. The Henny memes were hilarious. All of it was great. I loved it. I feel for you Browns fans, I do, and I feel for my boy Baker Mayfield, my former Sooner. But you guys should be have your have your heads held high. It was a good year. You guys did some good things. You I think you guys have finally broke the losing mentality in that organization. You've shown that it's no longer okay. We can do at least this. Why are we not doing more? So I'm interested to see what happens in the future. Rip my Cowboys. Hope we're not the laughing stock now. We're already the laughing stock this year, but hopefully this does not continue. Now, Aaron Rodgers went out and buttered through knife the Rams defense. It was the number one offense versus the number one defense. The matchup of the day was going to be Devontae Adams on Jalen Ramsey. Two first-team All-Pro guys going at it. Uh, Devontae Adams finished the night with seven receptions for 79 yards and a score. So, safe to say, I think he got the better of Jalen Ramsey there. Aaron Rodgers is on an MVP tear this year. I think he's the runaway favorite at this point. We know this. 
he had an incredible regular season and he is just continuing to do those type of things now. You know, he said all year long, I want somebody to come in Lambeau. I want I want have somebody have to play me here. That's what I want. That's where I want the NFC championship at. And he got his wish. He had almost 300 yards through the air. They had almost 200 yards on the ground between Aaron Jones and their other two running backs. So an absolute world beater of a day for for the Packers offense. Uh, poor Aaron Donald for the Rams is not the same, though. And I think that was a deciding factor, to be honest. Once Aaron Donald was, you know, he was still recovering from that rib from that rib injury last week, and he only played on 54% of the defensive snaps when he normally is 99 to 100% all the time. He, and even when he was out there, he wasn't very effective. He only finished with, I think, no hurries and one tackle, no sacks, no nothing like that. So he was neutralized for the most part. And... That was all she wrote. You know, once Aaron Donald couldn't do anything, that there was no pressure to get on the quarterback. And Aaron Rodgers sit in that pocket without trying to flush him or get to him. He's going to pick you apart. And sure enough, he did. So, and that leads to the NFC Championship against Tom Brady. Brady and Breeze, uh, Buccaneers won 30-20. to 20. They advanced to the first NFC Championship they've had in 20-something years, I think. Maybe like 19, 20 years. Since John Gruden was there and they won the Super Bowl that year. So, and having Tom Brady is a pretty good help as well in this whole thing, you know. But, yeah, talk about a GOAT showdown. It was the showdown between the GOAT getting past it and the GOAT still being able to do it. Um, Tom Brady finished with uh, about 200-something yards passing, uh, two passing touchdowns, and one rushing touchdown as well. Tom Brady, his old ass, you know he loves running him in for some reason. He's going to get crushed one day, but that remains to be seen. So, uh, Drew Brees had 134 yards, one touchdown, and like three interceptions. Uh, you know, Saints gave up four turnovers total, and that killed them. You got to win the turnover battle, and they could not. So that was pretty detrimental to them. Um, Brady still looks like Brady. He looks like he's smart still. You know, he, you know, they didn't have to beat him through the air. They just let the turnovers beat them. They let them beat themselves. He let Drew Brees beat himself with those turnovers, and he just capitalized when he had to. So he played the right, he played good football. Drew Brees, I love you, brother. And, you know, I, me and Jeremy talked a few weeks ago about this too, that, you know, the whole goat's bait between Brady and Brees. Is it the rings with Brady or is it the numbers with Brees? But my friend... It's about that time. We all love you dearly, and I respect you. And you've played your ass off for New Orleans for, you know, 15 years now. But it's time, brother. I it, I don't see a reason he doesn't retire. I don't see how he doesn't. Uh, to be honest, when he got 11 fucking broken ribs earlier this year, I'm surprised his wife didn't get up in his ass talking about, yeah, you don't need to call them and just you're not going to come back. Talking about when you can go back. You're not going back. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if he'll try to come back another year, but to me it looks like it's about that time, and I think he knows. I I think if you watch him and the way he was, his demeanor, I think he knows. So we'll see. Preview this NFC Championship game against the Packers and the Bucks. Uh, I see – I think it's supposed to be like 20 degrees and maybe some snow in Green Bay. That's what Aaron, Aaron Rodgers wanted, man. Like I said, he wanted – 
somebody to come to Lambeau and play him in the cold in my house. Um, thing is, you're talking to Tom Brady, and while the rest of that Tampa Bay team may be warm weather and not so used to it, Tom Brady just came from playing at Foxborough for 20 years. That dude knows about the cold maybe more than you do, if not just the same. So we'll see. I think it should be a great game. I think ultimately Aaron Rodgers is going to win out, and I think he's going to take care of Tom Brady. Um, I know the big thing is, you know, Tom Brady's trying to be the first dude to host the Super Bowl in his home team stadium, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think Aaron Rodgers is he's in his MVP season and he's going to take care of it and see he's going to take care of Tom Brady. I think that Bucks defense is going to get shredded just enough like wheat in the cold. We'll see how Devin Bush does that linebacker for him, but we'll see how many hits they can take. I think that the Bucks offense is we'll see I it really depends on Tom Brady as a thing. Skip Bayless is a pretty, pretty probably well-renowned saying that I find pretty interesting is the one man I'll never bet against is Tom Brady. And, you know, for good reason, because that dude will, that dude has made his entire living, his entire career on proving everyone wrong. So he likes when you bury him. That's when he gets his strongest. You know, he gains power from that. But ultimately, I think it'll be Packers in a one-score game over the Bucks in the snow. Now, the AFC Championship, we got the Bills and... The Chiefs, two young upstart quarterbacks, one who's already proven himself in Patrick Mahomes. If he plays this week, you know, you have MVP, Super Bowl championships, Super Bowl MVP versus Josh Allen, who the guy who was kind of formative for the first couple of years, everyone didn't see. Everyone didn't see this leap coming from him. You know, went from a little uptick in his production from year one to year two to in the, you know, fringes of the MVP conversation this year in year three that's a pretty good leap right there to take and i think he can only get better having stefan diggs definitely helps with his development that's the only thing i gotta say on camera to my boy jeremy shout out to you uh you were right josh allen's gotten better and he's good so we gave him some time and some development he worked so you're right about that one i think it's gonna be a showdown between them i the one dude i would not bet against patrick mahomes like never at all i how can you no lead is too big for him to overcome no lead that dude went 24 nothing in the hole in the second quarter against the texans and by halftime had the lead it's because he just has he just is it he is that dude there's no one's ever been that dude in football quite like patrick Mahomes has been that dude it's it is absolutely insane the x factor he has and he brings you no amount of game planning almost works. No, nothing. Whatever plan you think you want to run, you can practice it that week, but then when it comes time, throw it out the window and just do what you can when you can. Because it is, other than getting pressure on this guy, even then he almost gets better. But other than getting pressure on him, and I don't know which of his weapons you try to focus on because they're all going to bite you in the ass. Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, even McCole Harmon and Sammy Watkins can do it. Demarcus Robinson, I mean, they are just so good, not to mention Le'Veon Bell, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I mean, it is just a – it is a super-powered offense. It is an absolute nuclear reactor. It's like if they took an industrial-sized NOS kit and strapped it to a rocket going to the moon. 
That's what it is. They just have burners all around, and they can beat you in any number of ways. So we'll see how that Bills defense fares. I mean, they they played earlier this year. I think the Chiefs came out on top by about a score. So I'm not going to bet against Mahomes. Um, I would never bet against him. That'd be silly in my opinion. But I would not – it's not going to shock me to no end if Josh Allen ends up pulling this game out of his ass and wins and gets into the Super Bowl. I think he is – destined to be the hero that Buffalo deserves. Jim Kelly was the one they deserved, but not the one they needed right then. And that poor dude had to be sacrificed four times in a row for it to come to this point. But I think I just feel something special with Josh Allen. I don't know. If not this year, eventually before he leaves, he's going to have them one. But before we finish up in the NFL, I got a few more things. And I've got a little combined segment at the end for you guys of the NBA and the NFL. We're going to talk about Houston and just, Oh, God, the sports hell that that team, that city must be going through right now. Before we do that, I want to talk about Urban Meyer a little bit. Urban Meyer, of course, hired by the Jags this week for the coaching vacancy they had. Um, Of course, he's coming into the number one overall pick, which many of us assume is going to be Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Pretty much their team in full rebuild right now. So I... I'm a little surprised he took this job. I thought he would have taken a college job again, you know. There was a lot of smoke about him going to Texas and, you know, taking that before Steve Sarkeesian took it. But I guess how much more convincing can you be than literal sunshine from, from remember the Titans, your quarterback? This dude is, you know, the most sought-after prospect in the past 20 years most people are talking about in a long time. So it's a pretty convincing argument to come back. I think he's a great coach. He's won at Florida. He won at Ohio State. You know, and he's been great. I I think he joins a long list of college coaches who quit for some reason or another before their time when they saw the ship about to sink with sanctions. And, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily sanctions from the NCAA, but they had the whole investigation into his assistant for you know uh, domestic violence for domestic disputes and abuse so he had that whole thing going on with his assistant zach taylor and i he he said that at the end of the season when he retired that it was a heart condition and that if he continued to put that much strain and stress on his body he could die which i truly believe because gary kubiak you know that poor guy when he's the coach of the texans literally croaked at halftime going in and had like a stroke or a heart attack, and that was not good. It was almost it was terrifying to watch that happen and collapse on the field. So I believe it, but it just looks fishy that years later, after you've had your nice Fox job doing commentary, that you're taking the coaching position. Looks a little fishy guy, if you ask me. But Pete Carroll did it getting out of USC when everything was collapsing. College coaches have done it for long times now. It's the way it is. So, but – Urban Meyer with Trevor Lawrence, we'll see what happens. They need to rebuild that defense, and they need to get an offensive line around him, or else he's going to get murdered. But I think it could happen. I like it better than Trevor Lawrence going to the Jets. We shall see there. Um, also, Eric Bieniemy. why has – I don't understand why no one's hired this guy yet, the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. He was the talk of the town in the last, you know, Black Monday coaching search last season and nothing. The Houston Texans, you know – Deshaun Watson, and we'll get more into it in a minute, wanted them to reach out to Eric Bieniemy, and they just now did it. So not only did other teams reach out to him during their bye weeks so they could interview him, 
they have to wait till the end of the season now to do it and into their season. And it's, you know, again, that's part of the reason that he wants out, but we'll get to that in a sec. I do not understand why no one is even, why, why this guy hasn't gotten it. I really, really, really thought he was going to get the Chargers coaching job until Brandon Staley, the Rams defensive coordinator, was announced yesterday what, that he got the Chargers head coaching position. I truly thought Eric Bieniemy and Justin Herbert would have been a match made in heaven because the dude seems to be able to help the Andy Reid disciple. Uh, the last, you know, one of those guys only won a Super Bowl with Doug Peterson in Philadelphia, right? And while he's gone, they still did that. You can't take that away from him. So I figured with all of that being said that he would get a chance, right? He was going to get somewhere. So like I said, I thought the Chargers would be the perfect fit. You take that young Justin Herbert who had the statistically the best rookie season for a quarterback in NFL history, and you have a great offensive web base around him already. We know they can score points, and he can sling it. And, you know, I figured they would do that and try to do something, but no. You know, I don't, I don't get it. Robert Sala got the Jets job. I'm not surprised by that one. That's good for him. You had, I think, who else? The Atlanta Falcons took Arthur Smith, the Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator. So we'll see how that works out. I wonder if Matt Ryan is going to be out of there. I wonder if they draft a quarterback this year because I think they have the fourth pick in the draft. So we shall see with that one. So, but I just, I don't get it. I don't understand. Eric Bieniemy is, by the previous disciples of Andy Reid, they've all gotten jobs. Why isn't he? I think it speaks to the lack of diversity in the NFL. It speaks to the old school mentality. It still holds the boys club, you know. And there's, we, me and Jeremy have discussed that in the show as well. And that could be a whole different segment on its own another day. But somebody, he's waiting. We'll turn your offense around. We're looking at you, Minnesota. Mike Zimmer. I don't know how you keep your job. Your defense is not even good anymore week we'll end it with a little bit of something something about houston now notes no city seems to be going through sports hell worse than houston right now their star for their team three scoring titles the past three years and an mvp and james harden uh basically didn't show up to camp uh was out in the strip club unmasked you know doing whatever he's doing running around chasing hoes and throwing money he was when he finally did show up, he was out of shape. He looked like they had stuffed him. It looks like he had turned into the Pillsbury Doughboy live human mascot. God bless him. He was, you know, out of shape. He had a terrible attitude. He didn't care. He already told me he wanted to trade. And came back in the first couple of games when he played and lit it up for like 40-something points and 30 points just to show he could do it then proceeded to start stinking it up and then at a press conference went and said and i quote you know this team just isn't good enough uh i've given everything to this city and i just don't think it's going to work out so basically they told him not to show up to practice the next day because the team was going to whoop his ass more or less uh judging by boogie cousins comments of saying all of us must are busting our ass and you ain't doing nothing to me, pretty much shows that he was ready to throw hands. They all were for talking shit. And then he went out and he forced his hand and he forced the hand. 
and they ended up with this trade. After all that is said and done, when he shows up at training camp late, he shows up out of shape. He shows up breaking protocol. He gets fined by the team. He leaves his teammates and new coach Stephen Silas in a lurch, uh, and then basically pouts and pouts and you know forces his hand out until they're willing to trade him, and they finally do. I think they were waiting on the right offer. The Nets finally came and knocking. Uh, and it ended up being a four-way trade. So I'm just going to read this off for you. Rockets trade James Harden to the Nets. It involved the Rockets, the Nets, the Cavaliers, and the Pacers. So the Cavaliers received Jared Allen and Torian Prince from the Nets. The Nets received James Harden in the second-round pick. The Pacers got Karis LeVert from the Nets in a second-round pick. The Rockets ended up getting Dante Exum. Uh... Rodians Kurucs, Victor Oladipo from the Pacers, four first-round picks that are all unprotected. Not top five protected, not top three, unprotected. Uh, four first-round pick swaps that are all pick swaps that are all unprotected. So they'll have the Nets picks in 22, 24, and 26, the Cavs pick in 22 from the Bucks, and then pick swaps of the Nets in 21, 23, 25, and 27. That is absolutely insane. That is a huge amount of your future that you're leveraging for this win-now mentality with James Harden, Kevin Durant, and hopefully Kyrie Irving if he comes back and gets his head straight and comes back to the team. That's a lot. That's a lot to unpack and deal with. I mean, you guys got Victor Oladipo back. You got all those first-round picks. But ultimately, he's gone, and that sucks. And it's what sucks the worst is that he kept building all these teams and had all the leverage and built all these teams himself, only to eventually one out. And it it just sucks. It's it was poorly handled by him, but I guess that's how you have to force the trade, quote unquote. But I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully, maybe they can turn it into something in Brooklyn. I would not be shocked if it you know, burns up and blows up in their face if it burns them because it's a volatile chemistry you're playing with there between Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie. That's that's a volatile thing. So hopefully it works out for them. But Houston, not only was all that going on, now you have all these reports coming out that Deshaun Watson doesn't want to be here anymore. He wants to get traded because he... So the way it went was He's mad because he had his he you know he had his input on the GM position that they were trying to hire and for the coaches. They, he wanted Eric Bieniemy at least to get interviewed for the coach. Um, he had input with the GM position, but not only that, they also hired a firm and paid them several hundred thousand dollars to tell them who they should look at for their GM. One was Samir Khan, the other was Lewis Riddick from ESPN. So those were their top two prospects. They were told to go try to talk to. Talked to neither of them and, hand, and hired Nick Casero from the Patriots. So, again, plugging from that Bill Belichick tree the way they did with Bill O'Brien. And look how that worked out for you. That's not to say anything about Nick Casero. We'll see how he turns out. But it, it just it frustrated Watson to no end because he, you know, it made him – it makes them look like assholes, you know. Why ask me for anything? One, I want my opinion included because I'm supposed to be like the anchor. That I'm the franchise future of this team, right? I'm the quarterback, and I'm really good at doing that quarterback thing. So I would kind of like some input here. And they asked his opinion and then didn't use any of it in any way. And he feels slighted by that. 
You know, he feels much more slighted than he did when they didn't even call him to say they were trading DeAndre. He found out on his own, you know, from the media. And that's just, it's nuts. And he wants no part of it, and he is unhappy. A lot of the Texans organization feels that he has played his last snap with them. And he's not, like, throwing a fit. He's not, like, making it public, and he's not going out there and this and that. He's just very much like, hey, man, listen, I don't, you know, this isn't it. Respectfully, I'd like out of here. And I'm not sure Houston's going to give him up so easy. I... I doubt they would. You know, Cal McNair for the Texans does not seem like he'd be willing to release power like that as he would see it. So, I don't know. But this is sticky. And it sucks because that's one superstar gone and you're all looking at another one on the way out, possibly. So, that all being said, Houston, where do we trade Deshaun Watson to? Who takes him? And what are you willing to take back for him? Is it at least two first-round picks, or is it at least three? Do you want to do do you do that trade with Miami and not only get your own first-rounder back, but you know, do you take Tua Tagovailoa in the process? Do you take a couple of first-round picks from Antua? You know, do you guys go and just get as many picks as possible, like three first, two seconds, you know, somewhere from someone else, and basically take their entire draft from them? I don't know. I think it's at least three first. That's the starting point. We are not even having – I'm not entertaining a phone call from you if it is not at least three first-round picks. And really, if there's not a couple of sec, maybe like a second and a third with a player on top of that, I really don't even want to talk to you because it's Deshaun fucking Watson we're talking about here. This dude threw for the most passing yards in the NFL this year. He's probably had one of his best seasons he's had since he's been in the NFL, and they had a 4-12 and year because that organization has let them down. First, their GM coach let them down with Bill O'Brien, and he did all that bullshit. Trading two first-round picks for Larry Tunsil, trading DeAndre Hopkins, all-pro wide receiver for pennies on the dollar. When you have an all-pro caliber quarterback, possibly, that you need, you know, he needs targets. And he loved DeAndre Hopkins. And it just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, I don't understand it. So, Houston. It's rough being you guys right now. Talk to Cleveland. They'll tell you how it feels. They know. Maybe not as bad because they at least won with LeBron James recently, but they'll tell you how it feels. If you have any tips and tricks, talk to Houston. Talk to Cleveland. That's all I got for today, guys. Thanks for being here with me. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Chivo Effect. Leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcast. It'll really help us out. If you like what we're doing, you can support the whole battery of Uplift United podcasts by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Uplift United. Again, that's patreon.com slash Uplift United. It allows us all to keep making the content you like. And until next time, I'll see you guys.